happy take your child to work day. Yeah, boy, she sounds super excited <laughs> okay, about it. Okay, I'm Can't surrounded wait. by small children. <laughs> Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Vetrano. Coming up on 612, you hear these stories from time to time. Somebody who's been successful in the business world that gives up the rat race and pursues a dream. Why does someone leave a successful career in corporate America to work at a vineyard? Libby Collins asks Jocelyn Mentius about her motivation. I just love sharing our wine with people. So I love the whole experience of whether you're coming in for a tasting or maybe you're a regular and you come in every other week and you just have a glass of wine with your spouse or whoever. Just kind of making that a great experience. We get a lot of people from all over. You know, we have people who are regulars who come from the Milwaukee area and they come out because they like the peacefulness of being in the vineyard. You know, it's beautiful, it's quiet, you can bring your puppy out with you and have a glass of wine so or a bottle. So you're dog friendly too. We are. Yeah. We're dog friendly. But I just love creating that experience. Hear the history of this family-owned vineyard just an hour away from Milwaukee on this week's WTMJ Conversations. That's Sunday morning at 11 a.m. with Libby. 612 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All sports desk. Here's Bob Brainerd. The Packers sent out a call to Hercules. Former Iowa defensive end Lucas Van Ness is Green Bay's pick in the first round of the NFL draft. 6'5", 272-pound former Hawkeye, went number 13 overall. Yeah, I mean, I'm at a loss for words. Um, just, you know, finally coming to a sense of my emotions. I'm extremely happy to see this all come to fruition. You know, since I decided to come out around four months ago, I put my nose, my nose to the grindstone. I spent three months in California training for the combine. You know, so many meetings and interviews and flat around to different top 30 visits uh, just to get to this day to day. And, uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better result. And I'm just so happy to be a Packer. And I can't wait to get out there and wear that green. Fun fact, Van Ness never started a game at Iowa, but Packers GM Brian Gutekunst, he loves the upside. He did play like a 1,000 snaps in the last two years, but it's two years of football. He redshirted his first year. So I just think there's a lot of growth there, and the physical traits are all there for him to grow, so there's no real limitation on him. But also his just the versatility of being able to win outside with speed and then also inside with power. So Hercules, 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 Hercules. That's where his best football will be. Tonight it's round two and three. <laughs> Green Bay has two picks in the second round. That's 42 and 45. One of those is from the Jets in the Aaron Rodgers deal. And round three, one selection, the 15th, which is 78th overall. Brewers and Angels. Headliners at AmFam Field tonight. The pitching matchup, Wade Miley for Milwaukee, Tyler Anderson for the Halos. And while Christian Yelich, he hasn't been really the carbon copy of his MVP season, but he has added positive stats to the nightly box score. Manager Craig Council Loves that he's getting contributions from his leadoff hitter. He's run the bases exceptionally. I think he's got five stolen bases already. He's played really good left field defense. Um, uh, he, he's got on base at a good clip. So he's just just like contributed in kind of all facets of the game. Good for Yelly. Game time is 7-10 with the pregame coverage getting things started at 6-35 here in 6-20 WTMJ. No Bucks game 6 to speak of. Instead, Miami and the Knickerbockers are the next series on tap in the NBA playoffs. Last night, Boston took care of Atlanta in their game 6. Celtics and Sixers now square off on a best of 7. And the Admirals begin the first round of the Calder Cup playoffs with game 1 against the Manitoba Moose up there in Winnipeg there, you know. Hey, can we talk about the girlfriends for a minute? Which ones on the on the draft coverage? I mean, there, yeah, there were a lot. 
<laughs> making for, the rounds. How about for our guy? Van Ness? Yeah. He had a harem, didn't he? There were a he? lot of ladies in that shot. So that was in Fontana where they showed him. Right here in Wisconsin. The, yeah, he's all fired up about being selected. And then, yeah, there was. The social media traffic on it is interesting. Girlfriend confusion, I think it's been labeled. Because <laughs> there were three, very at least three. And yeah. then there was there was some dude who jumped in front of Van Ness, started to hug him, and this arm comes out of nowhere, pulls him off of Van Ness. And it's, it's like, no, he gets the camera time, not your back, Yeah, not fella. your day. <laughs> Move over, pal. 618 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. Her- Six twenty-one on Wisconsin's morning news. The Republican National Convention is coming to Milwaukee. Only about fourteen months out, so it's starting to get real. And so much has been made outside of politics about what hosting this event is going to do for Milwaukee, for Southeast Wisconsin, for the state at large. The numbers you keep hearing tossed around: fifty and two hundred, fifty thousand visitors, two hundred million dollar economic impact. Well, I attended the Milwaukee Business Journal event Thursday. Mark Cass and TMJ 4s Charles Benson having a discussion with the president and CEO of Destination Cleveland. Why Cleveland? Well, this guy served as the CEO of the host committee there when C-Town hosted the 2016 RNC. I spoke one-on-one with David Gilbert about the potential of this major event. We didn't really get a fair shot at it in 2020 with the yeah. DNC, so here we are, the RNC coming in 24. There are a lot of promises about how many people are going to visit and how much money we're all going to bring in to Milwaukee. Is all that going to come true? You don't know. I mean, honestly, you, you, all you can really go by is historically what's happened. We had the same thing. Our results showed it ended up being about what we thought it was going to be, maybe slightly less. And part of that was who the nominee ended up being, that some people didn't come, but it was probably 90, 95 percent, we thought. I would also say for us, when we what we were hoping for when we look back, a lot of the benefit was above and beyond the dollars that were spent in the community during that week. It was really about how it propelled the community in so many ways since then. Well, there are, yeah, there are many hopes that you bring in tens of thousands of visitors that they will come back to a city like Cleveland, like Milwaukee. Have they come back? All the things by which we can measure it, the answer is yes. It's hard for us to say it was specifically because of RNC, but when you're looking at meetings and conventions as an example, every meeting planner knows if you can host the RNC, you could host just about anything. And if you you're, if you can be successful at doing it, I know you all are expanding your convention center. It, it, for us, we felt like it was exactly the right time for Cleveland to be hosting a political convention based on where we were in the, the redevelopment of our city. We think it really helped us flip a switch in Clevelanders' own um, feeling of themselves. And, and you know, we have been a pretty woe-is-us place for a couple of decades, if not a couple of generations. We can appreciate that yeah. here. And, and I think the RNC, hosting a successful RNC, A, just winning the bid to, to get it, and then hosting a successful RNC um, was a big part of, had nothing to do with politics, but, but a, a big part of Clevelanders' Uh, uh, feeling much better about their own community. And we did a lot of research on that. Talking with David Gilbert, he's with Destination Cleveland, and they hosted the 2020, uh, 2016 RNC. So what were the things that kept you up at night as the event drew closer? And we start to focus on that here in Milwaukee. Fundraising is always one, just natural. But set that aside, that it, when you're hosting a big event, you have to raise money. I think, uh, you know, it, it's an event that is, not only is it enormous and has so many aspects to it, but 
you have a lot of significant parties involved that have very different ideas of what success looked like. Yeah, you know, the, the, the RNC, and it's no different than the DNC, it's not a political thing, their view of what success is in a convention is very different than what a city's view. You both want it to be successful, but it inherently causes tension. And tension you work through, there, but, but it's, it's not an easy process to do it and do it really well. I'd say the other thing is, there, there, there's a lot of prescribed things that you have to do in hosting a political convention. I think to do it great for your community, there's a lot you have to do above and beyond in how you engage the community and how you prepare. And it's a lot of extra time and effort and energy to do that. And you to do it right, it's not the job of just the host committee. You have so many parts of the, the community that take pride, need to take pride in it and pitch in together. And, and we were very fortunate to have that. So that's David Gilbert, Destination Cleveland. A couple other takeaways from their hosting of the 2016 Republican National Convention. He is working very closely with Peggy Williams-Smith, so basically like his counterpart here for Visit Milwaukee. And I, I thought that was really great. He talked about how many other communities, how many other people in his line of work helped him, helped Cleveland as they looked ahead to their convention. So he's, he's paying it forward. Okay. Yeah, doing the same for us here in Milwaukee, providing that wealth of knowledge. The other thing, Eric, that I thought was really interesting is he said, if you want to reap the benefits of this in years to come, like we talk about, all oh, these people are coming here, they're going to visit, right. they're going to come back, they're going to hold their stuff. He said, you have to manage that. That's work. And you have to go out and figure out, have a plan for how you're going to bring those people back. And one of the things they did in Cleveland was they set up a digital command center where people were combing through social media. So anytime people on social media were talking about, not the politics of the convention, but Cleveland, hey, this restaurant is great, or hey, we're in this hotel, their people were engaging with them then on social. Oh, interesting. Okay. Hey, are you having a great time? Or maybe they expressed a need. Boy, it would be great if we could. Here's oh, some, here's did you this. try this? Here's yes. some information. He said, so okay. you have to set up an apparatus that can manage that and take advantage of those just few days that this convention has all of these people in your town. And if you want to ultimately reap the benefits years down the road, he says Cleveland has. And if there's a similar city to Milwaukee, like this is a perfect example. Right, right. So he was really bullish on our opportunities. And again, this is part of Milwaukee Business Journal's 2024 RNC Impact Series. Fascinating stuff as we're 14 months out from the Republican National Convention here in Milwaukee. Six forty-two on Wisconsin's morning news. It was take your kids to work day yesterday. I guess none of us did that. <laughs> no. Nope. Oh, no. Well, how about that? Right? We all have teenage kids, and you got one in middle school still. Hey, how'd you like to get up with dad at two forty-five this morning? <laughs> yeah, Come on into work. Hard pass. No. <laughs> nope. They did it at the White House. Hi. Hi. Oh my goodness! You guys look amazing. Happy Take Your Child to Work Day. Yeah, boy, she sounds super excited <laughs> okay, about it. I'm surrounded wait. by small children. <laughs> yeah, okay, so yeah, so the kids were there for the photo op. They even had the Secret Service kids there all dressed to the nines, protecting the president. We're able to ask some questions of the president. What's my favorite ice cream flavor? <laughs> I may be among the dullest presidents of the world because I'm known for two things. My Ray-Ban sunglasses and chocolate chip ice cream. All right, so he's that's my favorite. He's pandering to the crowd okay, there yeah, a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Someone asked him about the ice cream. Is that, mm, that was the all, question? These are all questions uh, for the that kid we're press corps. Yep, yep. Here's another answer. What's it like being president? Well, first of all, it's probably the greatest honor anyone in America can have bestowed on them. All right, okay. You know, still again pandering a little bit. Here's another one that they asked. My favorite rose is the white rose, and the reason that's my favorite rose is that. 
That's the rose I always give my wife. Okay, all right. Scoring points there. Yeah. Boy, oh boy. So then there's this, this one. This kid turned it up a bit. We've been talking a lot about AI at our school, and I'm wondering if President Biden is worried about audio or video of himself being altered in a harmful way. <laughs> Solid question. Oh here we go. Let's get into some AI. meat here. So what did uh, Cringe on Pierre say? So, you know, this has come up a couple times in the briefing. I don't know if you pay attention or watch the briefings, Noah. Um, and <laughs> the president like recently held uh, held a meeting with his team on AI specifically. And this is something that his team is certainly taking a look at. Yeah, so asking about AI and uh, all the fakes that are out there. Of course, you can make the president say anything. Anybody say anything these days and knew anything. Uh, there's one more question. This one was from the son of a reporter that you hear on this radio station every once in a while. Matthew Anderson, age seven, and my son asked Corrine about what the U.S. is doing to support Ukraine in its war with Russia. We have been one of the leading countries, the U.S., in sending Ukraine uh, security assistance. Already a tenacious reporter, Matthew got in a follow-up. How long does President Biden want to do this? You know... As long as it takes. She was, he was asking, how long is he going to do that? She said, as long as it takes. So even some real information coming you know, from Take Your Child to Work. It would have been awesome if some right-winger's kid gets in there. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Jimmy. Yeah. My dad says your uh, President <laughs> Biden's son has a bunch of nasty pics on his laptop. What about that? <laughs> Where's Hunter? It's Take right. Your Kid to Work Day. <laughs> Why aren't you answering the question? Answer the question. You're dodging. 645 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All Sports Desk. Here's Bob Brainerd. Lucas Van Ness, a defensive end out of Iowa, was the Packers' selection with the 13th overall pick in the NFL draft last night. Nicknamed Hercules Van Ness is a 6'5", 272-pound edge rusher labeled... Hercules, Hercules, Hercules! <laughs> ...an effort player with lots of potential. Thank you, Eric. Again. Uh, Green Bay will have three selections today overall with a pair in the second-round picks and then one in the third round. The Brewers host the Angels in the first of three games this weekend in Milwaukee. Tyler Anderson and Wade Miley get the starting pitching assignments for Game 1. The Brewers trail Pittsburgh. They have the best record in the National League. Trailing by a game and a half in the NL Central. Boston and Atlanta, game six in the NBA playoffs last night, and the Celtics take care of business. They close out the Hawks. Bean Towners now get Philly next. And the Milwaukee Admirals begin the Calder Cup playoffs with game one in Manitoba. It's a best of five series against the Moose. It's time for Extra Points, a sports opinion commentary on Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's Bob Brainerd. Everyone realizes what happens next because the Bucks could not find a way to win a seven-game series with Miami, right? And continue to the next round of the playoffs, right? As a fan, do you realize what happens next? Because it won't be pretty. It'll be cutthroat and disheartening. Coaches will lose jobs. Players will be jettisoned to other teams because history was made in all the wrong avenues. Possessing the best record of all 30 teams in the league, then squandering that golden opportunity away, won't just be frowned upon with a hearty slap in the back and a go get them next season, boys. Action will be taken by management, and scapegoats will be roaming downtown Milwaukee for the choosing. With a talented roster cobbled together for the sole purpose of making another championship run, falling short by falling in the opening round to a team that cured what ails them, well, it'll demand change. Doing nothing would be an even bigger failure if management stood still and accepted this premature defeat. Fans are savvy and smart, and I believe they do realize what happens next. 
It's a shame that the Bucks didn't play like they realize anything less than reaching the NBA Finals translates to a team overhaul. It's coming, folks. So buckle up, Bucks. September 1995. Six men convicted of killing Tom Monfiles. He was found dead in a paper pulp vat inside a mill in Green Bay. And more than a quarter century later, the so-called Monfiles Six, co-workers of his at the mill, have continued to proclaim their innocence. It's the topic of a new documentary screening tomorrow at Milwaukee Film Festival. So we're talking with Michael Nielsen. He's director of the documentary Beyond Human Nature. It takes us back to the murder investigation of Tom Monfiles in the early 1990s and then the ultimate conviction of the Monfiles Six. One thing that always struck me, Michael, was all six of these guys have maintained their innocence and not one of these guys turned on anybody else, which I guess lends some credence to the idea that maybe they didn't do it. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's kind of where I come from as well, where, you know, I'm, I was six years old when Tom was discovered at the bottom of that pulp vat. So I'm, I'm a generation that doesn't remember the media coverage at all. So I'm, I'm coming at this with fresh eyes uh, and a little bit of distance, uh, the, the benefit of some hindsight. And I really wanted to tell the story from that 30,000 foot view where I don't know. And it's not my, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want, you know, documentary filmmakers trained in storytelling primarily to take it upon themselves to try and find out um, I don't think that's really our job, but uh, I wanted to understand how this got so messed up. How is it that six men get uh, convicted of killing their coworker uh, in such an you know insane way? Uh, something that really truly does feel beyond human nature. You know, wrapping a rope around his neck, attached to a fifty-pound weight, and throwing him into a pulp vat. How does that happen? Or how does it happen that six innocent men? get put away for a crime they didn't commit, and it was something else, and we never found out. It, it, it's a harrowing story. And in the story that you tell, do you come to an ultimate conclusion one way or another, Mike? I don't. I, I mainly come from the, the, the conclusion of human nature must encompass a lot more behavior than I thought it was really capable of, because no matter which way you fall on this, if you think the Montbell Six are guilty, or if you think that Tom committed suicide, which is a more recent argument that's come up since 2015, some part of it just feels beyond human nature, beyond what we would normally do. You know, how does somebody commit suicide by throwing themselves into a pulp vat like that? Like that doesn't feel natural, but it also doesn't really feel natural that six guys would do this in a, in a workplace during business hours and then never cop to it, as you said earlier. Like it all feels somehow not possible. Can you talk, uh, Michael, about the level of participation you got from multiple different points of view here? I know you talked to the the prosecutor. I know you talked to some of the police investigators who were involved in this. Talked to some of the Monfile Six. You talked to Tom's brother. Yeah, so I I, I wasn't going to make the film unless I was able to talk to people on all sides of it, because I really wanted to get a broad understanding and put the best arguments of all sides into one document. Up until now, if you wanted to hear the case that the Montfell Six were guilty, you could go back to the media of the time and, and you know, just the reports of uh, the police were putting out. Or if you wanted to hear the argument that they were innocent, you'd have to go find the books that are put out by the advocates now um, and read those. This documentary is the first thing that I know of where we've tried to put them all into one. We, we had 12 hours over two days with Detective Sergeant Randy Winkler, who led the investigation. We spent four and a half hours with the DA, John Zakowski, who's now a judge in Brown County. And then we interviewed Mike Piaskowski, who at the time we filmed back in May of 14, he was the only one of the Montfell Six who was out and available. 
Talking with Michael Nielsen, he's director of the documentary Beyond Human Nature. It profiles the murder investigation into Tom Monfile's death at a paper mill in Green Bay in the early 90s. So have people come, been coming up to you then, Michael, offering you the I think this, I think that? <laughs> yes, everybody seems to think they have the missing piece that I didn't include in this film. That's Aha, <laughs> yes, I'm helping. Yes, exactly, exactly. No, everybody, everybody, that's another thing that happens with stories like this, as, as you're certainly aware is that just the rumor mill is crazy. Like, everybody knows somebody who heard something from one of the Montfell Six at some point, or somebody saw something at the mill because their cousin worked there. I mean, it, it's a, up in Green Bay, the mill was the center of the community in a lot of ways, or yes. the mills, rather, not just this one. And so it, it, it was uh, everyone, everyone thinks they know something about what happened here, which I think is partly why it's maintained its grip on the community all these years. Beyond Human Nature, it screens tomorrow, 1230 at the Times Cinema, and again Monday at 915 at the Oriental. The film is already premiered in Green Bay. So, as you heard, Michael saying a lot of folks coming up to him and saying, oh yeah, well I heard this and I saw that, and when I lived up in Green Bay for all those years, this trial was just coming to an end, and it was the talk of everyone. And a lot of folks have different ideas about what ultimately really happened there.